we are indeed living in radical times. Radical experience, radical change, radical way of doing church. In fact, church has suddenly uh, expanded beyond these four walls. It's expanded beyond physical gatherings at a certain time of the week. Sabbath has become so much more meaningful. So what can we do? The question we, can, we are going to ask ourselves in times like this. You know, two of our daughters, Jazz and Joanne, came back two days ago. Uh, they are now serving their quarantine because they came back from the UK. And they're stuck in a room, you know, nowhere to go. In fact, a lot of us has, have also voluntarily chosen to stay at home, to flatten the curve. And so what are we going to do when we're just stuck in the building all day, when our daily routine is changed, when our normal way of living is different? Let us talk about what the Bible has told us. Radical, according to the dictionary, especially of change or action, is relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. It's far-reaching or thorough. And I indeed believe that this is radical. This is a time where we can go to church anywhere in the world, but also feel very isolated. It is a very different way of functioning. And I can tell you as a pastor, this is the first time I'm preaching to empty chairs. This is something that we might have to get used to, at least for the next five weeks. But how about personally? Can there be a radical change in this current climate? Is it a time that God specially, have specially called us to so that we can make some radical change that we actually have forgotten about, that we've grown to live life so comfortably that, that God is trying to use this situation to change how we look at Him, how we look at one another. I know that inertia is a very real thing. And for me, it's a constant. You know, if you, you, you talk to me, talk to James when he was 16 years old, one of the biggest inertia was snoozing the alarm clock. Man, that invention was a blessing and a curse to me. You know, you used to be, when your alarm clock sounds, you can take the alarm clock and you smash it. That's how you stop it. But then there came this beautiful invention of snoozing. And so I tell you, man, the inertia of being asleep, and when that disruption comes, that ringing comes, man, snooze, 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 snooze. Before you know it, I've been snoozing for an hour. Could it be that our Christian life sometimes is like that? It's like God is trying to call us into action, but yet we are stuck in an inertia of our comforts, of how we've lived our life, that we just keep snoozing God's alarm. Snooze, snooze, snooze. And you know what's the scary thing I realized that it happened to my housemate? That your body has a way of adapting. So after snoozing, 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 your body comes to ignore that sound, that alarm, that when it rings, you don't hear it anymore. Could it that be that God is trying to call our attention and we put Him on hold for so long that we, we can't hear Him anymore? But then, as I told you about this story, my friend, I think I've told you about his story before, he realized that was a problem. He was, being, he was going to school late and he was making it in time, wasn't making it in time for class. He had to do something drastic. We start ignoring his alarm, but setting his alarm with the house stereo. 
So when the time comes, it blasts the whole house, and the whole house shakes. And unfortunately, he still doesn't really wake up, but he wakes all of us up, the rest of the housemate, that will go into his room and will wake him up. I think the current COVID-19 is a little bit like what my friend's doing. That little blasting of the stereo, shaking the house, shaking the church, shaking us, to wake us up to realize what is going on. But in fact, you know, you know, the Bible, the church has never been in a time where comfort was a norm. From the beginning of time, from, from the ex-church, they've always been under certain pressures. And this pressure upon the church actually caused the church to truly embrace what the church is supposed to be. And it truly grew because of this pressures, and the biblical term is persecution. Living in comfort, coming to church week after week with no problems, except for a little bit of traffic and parking problems, is not the norm. The Bible's used to it. It tells us stories after stories of time where it's pressurizing and difficulty, but then that's where the church has grown. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it tells us, And Saul approved of his execution. Of course, it's a very sad story of the deacon Stephen being stoned by then, the, the Jewish leaders. And Saul was there giving his approval, allowing it to happen. It says, And there arose on that day, so after approving of that, that stoning of Stephen, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for a small group, the apostles, they remained in Jerusalem. I think, you know, as I was going through this, this passage, preparing for today's sermon, I related to the then X church, that the persecution actually caused people to, to spread out, and it was a thing that was new to them. It was not something they were used to. You know, they, they were used to be, being able to go to the synagogue. It was something that, although they were not accepted, they were allowed to participate, allowed to be a part of it. But from that day onward, Saul caused a great persecution upon the church. The church was spread out all around like us. You know, like, it's amazing because now as that, it's actually in every estate all around Singapore at this time of worship. Instead of being stuck in 798 Thompson Road, we are around Singapore worshipping together. And I think God has a plan in that. He's trying to, to challenge us to do more, to embrace our identity as the church. And you look at what happened later on in chapter 9, verse 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So once they spread out, they went to Judea, Samaria, Galilee, what happened was not the shrinking and closing of these groups. This community did not die. In fact, they brought peace to wherever they went. And they gathered and they, they grew in their fear of God, their love for God, their respect for God, their relationship with God. And then they multiplied. Isn't that amazing? Aztec could be going through that right now. We're in the in-between time. Today's the first day where we're spread out. When Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Ishun, uh, Sengkang, Pongo, Jurong, even in the south, east coast, Marina, Parade, wherever we are, we're being spread out. We're in the in-between time. And in this time, God is not just saying, okay, hang in there. I will do something. God is also challenging us to say, hey, God, I'm here. 
Where are you? And God is saying, I'm coming to be with you wherever you are. And together, we're going to prepare ourselves because when this is over, we're going to multiply. So you ask me, James, what happened between chapter 8, verse 1 and chapter 9, verse 31? Chapter 9 happened. What is chapter 9? What happened in chapter 9? Let us go to Acts chapter 9. The in-between time is a precious time. It's an important time, and it is the time that I think all of us are in right now. Mine, Scripture, puts a title there. It says, The Conversion of Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christianity was called, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I think church, first thing you need to take comfort in is this persecution is not on us. The Lord Jesus has come and he says, I'm going to bear your burden. This challenge we have is not on us individually. It's on Jesus Christ. He's bearing the, the isolation, the economical challenge, the stress, the anxiety, the uncertainty, even the illness, the tiredness on our behalf. And so he says, rise, Jesus says, rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. It's a time of waiting. The in-between time is a time where we need to sit back and listen. The busyness of life has come to a pause. We don't have to commute to work for all of us. A lot of us, they have to commute to work early. A lot of students are starting a one day of study from home next Thursday, Friday onwards. The things have changed. We're getting more time to ourselves. Even Sabbath. This morning, we have our uh, teen Sabbath school class. I think it's the first time where they can say, Hold on, Pastor. I'm going to go to the kitchen and grab some breakfast while we have teen Sabbath school class. You know, it's a different time, a different kind of acting, a different kind of way of, of uh, enjoying the Sabbath. We are having more time, but this more time is where God says, Hang on. This is a time where you also need to listen to me. And when he went in the city, you'll be told what you're going to do. God is going to tell us what to do with the extra time we have. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voices but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground. He took action, right? He encountered Jesus, and then Jesus says, go to Damascus. He didn't just sit there and say, what? He said, okay, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand, but I'll follow what I know. Get up, go to Damascus. And he went to the city, and, and there, although he, his eyes were open, he saw nothing. He was blind. He couldn't see. It's a bit like us, right? We don't know what's the future going to hold. We don't know what's going to happen. We are open. Our eyes are open, but we're kind of blind to what's going to happen in the immediate future and the medium term and even the long-term future. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. I love this part. Saul, the great persecutor, the, the leader of the, the antagonist of the church, comes to a place where he's in need, he's weak, and he needs what? Help from others. You know, as that, this is a time where 
we can look to ourselves and secure ourselves and keep ourselves safe, but it's also a time where we can extend our hands out to those who are isolated and alone. There are people around us who actually need our help. And this could be people that beforehand we would never have imagined needed our presence in their life. You know, technology is a blessing, especially during a time like this. You don't have to visit them physically. In fact, reduce your travel, reduce your commute, reduce you yourself being in crowds. But hey, we've got the phone. Pick up the phone. If you don't like WhatsApp, if you don't like Facebook, no problem. Do the old school thing, SMS. Do the old school thing, call them on the phone and just say, hey, how are you doing? Have a chat. And for the super old school, actually really like that, write them a letter. (laughs) Write them a, a physical hard copy of a letter, mail it out, right? Don't lick the stamps though. Not a good time to lick stamps, but just mail it out. And they, they'll be, I'm sure they'll, they'll be happy to receive a letter in the mail after 10 years. So this is a time where we need to connect with one another, where the community doesn't stop, but it changes in how we act. And so for three days, verse 9, he was without sight. He was blind for three days and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord says, Rise and go to the streets called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So the three days that Saul did not eat or drink, he was not just sitting there on his bed chilling. He was praying. Because he realized that God wants to talk to him he realized that something is going to change. He encountered Jesus and, and he's challenged him to relook at how his life is supposed to be lived. And so he spent that three days in prayer asking God, God, please reveal yourself to me. There's something we can do. In fact, every Wednesday evening on Zoom, of course, if you don't understand, we're going to talk about that. You can dial in to online prayer meeting every Wednesday from 7 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. At this point, I would like to make an appeal. Not all of us are technically savvy, so I will need some ASDAQ technical customer support. If you think you can help people set up stuff over the phone, or if possible, go to your house and set it up for them, please message me. I need a bunch of people, because I am just one person, and I know there's a lot of people who need to know how to set up themselves to join our prayer meeting, or even join this live stream. There's somebody who is out there who is part of SDAG who can't be here with us right now because they don't know how. So if you're technically savvy, if you have time, would you just send a message to me that says, Pastor, I'm available to be the SDAG technical customer support. I need your help. All right, so, so he was praying and, and, and as seen in a vision named Ananias. So he was praying. God at the same time spoke to two persons. Spoke to Ananias, said, go and find this man named Saul. And spoke to Saul, said, there will be a man named Ananias coming. I want to speak to the young people right now. You know, there's all the time uh, where people say, you know, I prayed and God told me you're the one for me. The best answer to them is, well, God better tell me in my prayer too. You know, when God reveals His will, it's very rarely that it's to one side. Is usually to both side, both party um, that is involved in that in that will. So whatever you're praying about right now, be careful of being presumptuous. And the way to check is the other 
party involved in this and acting of God's will will be will realize that God is trying to do something too. So when you go and this person confirms that, both sides confirms that, you know it's God's will. But if it's very strongly one-sided, then I ask you to, to slow down and think about it again. But Ananias answered in his vision with God, I had, Lord, I've heard a lot of things about Saul, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You know, God may be calling us to minister to somebody which we may not like very much. That's part of being the church. See, the church is not just ministering to people we know, ministering to people we like. Many times, the church is called to minister to people we don't know, we're not comfortable with, may even inconvenient us, and even some people that we don't like very much. But when God works, the church needs to partner with Him. It is not the church that's acting on behalf of God. God is already acting. That the church needs to realize how He's acting and to go along and allow ourselves to be His hands, be His feet. And I don't know who God is calling you to minister to in times like this, but I'm sure He's calling you to somebody. If Ananias rejected God that day, I'm sure God can call somebody else. But you know, he submitted to God, and because of his submission, we have him in the Scripture as the person who converted Saul to Paul, who then wrote almost three quarters of the New Testament. Your involvement, may, you may not realize how significant that it will be at that point in time, but the impact of your submission, your willingness, your humility may bless God's work as it moves forward into the future. And so he submitted, he went, and so Ananias departed, verse 17, and entered the house and laying his hand on him, on his enemy per se, he said, which is a big thing, Brother Saul, he accepted him as family, as one of him, the way, the followers of the way. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In times like this, all the more I re I'm reminded of the Holy Spirit's work. That's why God has to, Jesus has to ascend and send the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a replacement or empowerment of the work of God in our current modern time, where God can be everywhere with everyone at a single moment. When Jesus came in the form of a human, He was restricted to Jerusalem, Samaria, Damascus, and surrounding region, the capitalists. But He said, you can do more than I can because the Holy Spirit is going to help us with that work. And Paul, Saul still at this point, received the Holy Spirit and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. He received the Holy Spirit. Then he was baptized. Do you hear that? But also the thing is, the scales from his eyes fall. Sometimes we can't see where God is leading us because we refuse to let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. And when we submit ourselves and allow the Spirit to work, then we will see where he wants to lead us. 
after that was a very interesting incident between what happened here and the verse in verse 31. We saw, we, we are not, we don't, we're not told what happened. It jumped very quickly from one verse to another as though no time has passed. But if you read Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, it actually tells us between Saul's conversion and the great work that happened in Galilee, Samaria, and Judea, there was a period of at least three years. But I went away, this is Paul speaking, into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. So Saul had to go and spend time away for three years. And most likely, it was a time where he actually sat at the feet of Jesus to relearn what he didn't know about Jesus. And I think now we might be in that three-year period where we are called to go into Arabia. Spend Sabbath at home, spend most of your week at home. What do you do with this time? What are you supposed to do with this time? You have so much time on your hand. What do you do? You know, Paul gives us an example. In fact, continuously, Scripture gives us an example of a pause in our life and what are we supposed to do during that pause. Jesus, before he started his ministry, spent 40 days in the wilderness. Moses, before he could go minister and, and save Israel from Egypt, spent time in the wilderness. Paul, became, he get, became Paul, Saul, had to spend three years in the wilderness. So what are we to do in these three years? I hope it's not three years. Three weeks in the wilderness. First, Paul encountered Jesus. He met Jesus personally. Some of us have come to church and, and have allowed ourselves to encounter Jesus only through the church building, only through the worship service, only through the sermon. But this is a time where God is saying, why don't you encounter me personally yourself? Why don't you come and spend time with me? But he didn't just encounter Jesus, Saul. He engaged others. See, it was never in isolation that we encountered Jesus. We have, that's why we have church worship where we gather together physically or virtually. But he also interacted with others because many times that's how we learn. By talking to others about their experience and their walk with Jesus is where we will learn about more about Jesus. Next, he studied Jesus. If you've never, you've never spent time studying about Jesus, I encourage you to do so. The four Gospels are a wonderful place to start to study about Jesus. You know, I always encourage people to start with the book of John. But, you know, if you like action films, the book of Mark. If you like history, the book of Luke. And if you like just general story of drama, the book of Matthew. It's a good place to start. Study about Jesus. Spend this time you have at home. Read more into Him and you realize that you get to know Him better and you come out of this experience of not meeting physically with a better knowledge of who Jesus is. Then, after he's encountered Jesus, engaged others, studied Jesus, he finally came and came back among the people and he proclaimed Jesus. I believe that this is the time where God is allowing us to prepare ourselves. You know, I heard a, a quote from Andy Stanley just a few days ago, which is awesome. He says, when COVID-19 and this whole experience, I'm paraphrasing, becomes a story we tell in the future, we better be prepared that the story we tell is a story worth telling. You know, we are one of the very few generations that can tell our future generation that, you know what, I've lived through a pandemic. And then whoever's listening to our story, 
our children, our grandchildren, people who come into contact with, going to ask us, so what did you do? What happened? And our story will be amazing if you allow God to write that story. I believe after this, the X multiplication of churches will happen if we prepare ourselves. So as that, during this time, I call for you to stand firm, encourage one another, spend time in prayer, spend time encountering, encountering Jesus. I would like to stay, say a corporate prayer of blessing for all of you who is joining me online. Should we bow our head? Heavenly Father, may your blessings be upon everyone who is listening in right now. For those who need strength, may you strengthen them. For those who need comfort, may you comfort them. And definitely for those who need healing, may you heal them. And for those who are perplexed, stressed, struggling, be close to them. Father, I will take this time to specially pray for our frontline workers. Be with them, Lord. Guide them, strengthen them, encourage them. Use us as your church, Father, to not just sit back, but find ways to support them. As we spend the rest of this Sabbath and maybe our time in isolation, isolated from the community, to connect with you, may you come close to us, may your Holy Spirit reveal you to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.